So welcome to today's session. Uh, I want to introduce, um, I, and I'm going to embarrass her by saying one of my oldest friends in the learning and development <laughs> world. We've known each other for a while. Carol Martin, please introduce yourself. Uh, yes, um, thank you for that. I'm the ageing, apparently, Carol Martin. <laughs> and um, I've been in the arena of working with people for more years than I want to admit, but over 25, let's leave it there. Um, and like Steve, I share an absolute passion for uh, supporting on a pragmatic way, getting organisations into the into a position of success, but but recognising that's always through people. Um, so I've worked in the realms of recruitment and um, sales and uh, learning and development in many guises for many many years, and I'm currently a, a director of learning and development for a large global organisation. Brilliant, thank you, welcome. And I'm I'm pleased you're on this one because uh, this is always a, a pleasure having a chat with you because you just make me laugh, which is. <laughs> Which is the best thing you can do on a on a drizzly, miserable Thursday morning. Yeah, we've Going got back hours, into lockdown. right? Say again? <laughs> we've got hours for this, right? So we'll be fine. Probably, probably, probably. <laughs> and so, so I always ask a sort of really daft question, but I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to ask you this question because I know you're weird. Um, so, <laughs> what's the weirdest thing you've done this week? So I don't know if it's weird, but embarrassing certainly was I fell into a trap of messaging somebody doing a live presentation forgetting that I was presenting and um and what I'd written was taken completely out of context and caused some giggles across a wider community than I would have hoped for um so that's a bit cryptic I know but actually it's one of those many things we now find ourselves in working in this virtual world isn't it um but I will probably think during the course of our conversation of something weirder yes but it is one of those weird things that we've got in this um virtual world that we're in now that it is very easy to forget where you are Mm. and forget exactly who and how many people can actually see you or even hear you or you know and and because you're sitting in this bubble Mm. uh, i mean i've seen it a few times where people you know you have in in zoom like everybody's face and you're sat there as a presenter and you look around and see people going do you realise we can watch you do that? Yeah, <laughs> you forget absolutely. the cameras on. Absolutely. So, but we're not going to use the video on this. It's purely for audio purposes only. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. The great title that I've stolen um, is "This Emperor's New Clothes." Um, in the context of a business world, I think I think it's such a such a telling story that an old story, mm. but a telling story. But this is a, a prelude, and this is a gratuitous plug to a book that you're writing <laughs> it is it it's it was born of and and i have to say obviously i didn't create empress new clothes either i think i've i've pinched it from somebody some fable many years ago but for those of you who don't know the the fable and there may be people it's essentially the story of a um a king who was uh, lauded by his sycophants and um uh you know continually pushed to have uh, greater and greater things um, but people around him became really terrified of the power that he had so essentially if he told you it was a Tuesday on a Monday people agreed with him and it culminated with um, him paying a very sneaky uh, dressmaker um, much money to weave him a suit made of gold um, the even cleverer tailor of course didn't have gold to weave him a suit but told him he did and the guy was so self-deluded that uh, he 
bought into the story because nobody around him told him any different. And actually what followed was weeks and weeks of effort um, sewing a um, an actually invisible suit made of woven gold um, because nobody would tell the emperor that uh, it didn't actually exist. He ended up parading naked through his city. And um, it took a little boy in the crowd to point out that the emperor was naked because, of course, little boys don't come with all the ego that we <laughs> we adopt as we go through life. And um, I've deliberately sort of slightly paraphrased that fable, so you can probably tell where I'm going, that increasingly I've found working with teams who are dysfunctional as a team in many different ways. We know that often it's down to management and leadership. Not always. It's unfair to place the whole whole problems at their door but we sometimes seem to have got into a stage where perhaps not to the extent of allowing somebody to be that exposed but we we there's a reticence to speak up even when common sense prevails and and that can be either due to leaders behaving in a way that creates a sense of fear or uncertainty or or insecurity or it can simply be the other side that that people won't take accountability for um being part of a solution they'd rather go along with something that they can see is failing even though they can see it failing simply because there's not a sense of accountability it's for somebody else to sort out so you end up getting this wave of multiple things happening that ultimately means nobody's engaged nobody's Mm. happy and it's too simplistic to lay it at one person's door it's it's a problem for everybody so um increasingly as, as this thought had come into my head i started seeing emperors everywhere um, and also recognising that it's okay to call things out. It's, of course, okay. You know, it's quite right to do it respectfully and in, the, in an appropriate manner and in the right place and time. But it, it, it's a good thing to support leaders by calling out things that are going badly. And equally, it's a good thing for leaders to listen to those criticisms or or suggestions or feedback is probably a better word. Um, and a feedback culture would have meant the emperor wasn't embarrassed um, in the fable, but also many of our leaders won't be commercially or operationally embarrassed because, um, you know, we're supporting them. So that became the premise. And as you said early on, it's not a, a hugely serious tome. Um, it's bringing together um, lots of examples that you and I, we've both seen, we've shared some, Steve, yep. of people in uh, various, you know, whether it's workshops, training rooms, observations, OD, you know, uh, sessions, um, where we've seen these behaviours in action. And um, and there's some quite hilarious outcomes. Uh, you know, it's not all terribly serious. It's not all stuff that's going to bring businesses down. It, there's some very funny examples on the day-to-day piece where you just watch people in a room um, following a leader without question. Um, and I think one really easy example is acronyms. And I know you and I have shared this. I, I'm Anyone hearing this now will never let me do this again. But one of my favourite things to do <laughs> is... If somebody is being particularly pompous, shall we say, in a meeting, um, acronyms are often used as a weapon to make people feel insecure, I think. You know, people hide behind them. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I do agree. And, and, And it's also very thoughtless. If you know you've got people in the room for whom they won't be familiar, sometimes there's a sense of superiority, isn't there, that people drop acronyms to sort of show their intelligence, et cetera. Um, And again, often in a room, I think acronyms are a really good example because people rarely ask what they are, um, even if they don't know. And so uh, and it's a fear. It's a fear of if I'm the only person in the room that doesn't know or what if the person I ask puts me down and calls me an idiot in front of everybody. 
And I always advise people to 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 do, do it in this way, you know, to kind of just repeat the acronym back to them in a question and sort of say, so ABC. A, um, and often the person that's used it doesn't know what it is either, which is really interesting. But you can, and I'm not advocating this, it would be terribly unprofessional, you can make acronyms up. And if you realise that everybody in the room is nodding sagely, you know you've become the emperor. You know, in that moment, people are going to let you talk rubbish and no one's going to correct you. And it actually means then that nothing you say from that point on carries any real value because um, they're going to believe you no matter what you say. You won't be challenged. You won't be offered alternatives. So it's a good test, but obviously not one I'm promoting. <laughs> well, the outcomes of it can be quite <laughs> dubious. But, but just cycle back a little bit because I think it's really – you've hit on a couple of, two, couple of things there in terms of you don't want to put dysfunctional teams all on the leader. But we hmm. do see, and you and I have oh. seen in organisations, leaders who do thrive on this emperor's position, hmm. Hmm. whether they're, wear, they're, 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 they're new clothes or not. Why? Why do we see this? What, 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 in your opinion, have you experienced that encourages this elevation or pomp in, in, in individuals who are put into positions of power? Um. Okay, so my harsh response would be, I think it's often covering up a lack of real capability or sense of capability. You know, it's not to suggest by any means that these leaders are not capable. But I think if if as an individual, we have to hide behind fear and dictatorship, really, um, it would suggest to me that we're not wholly confident that we could influence people in a different way. Therefore, there is, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, maybe they've never been. I do think these things are hierarchical. I think uh, on, on that's the wrong word, but I think they're they're sort of hereditary is a better word. You know, sort of we we lead often as we were led, don't we? And if we've seen that that's how other people have become successful, we start to mirror their image. Yes. And if nobody at any point calls it out, well, that just becomes the culture, doesn't it? And it does. and if you're promoted as a result, well. It must have been the right thing to do, right? Um, so I think, but I, I do, though, I've seen some really highly intelligent, very, very capable, brilliant people still have some of these characteristics, which makes me think that when they veer into them, it's where their insecurities are coming through, maybe, because they don't know another way, because nobody has supported them. But could it also be a combination of both? Because mm. I think from a hierarchical and a hereditary perspective, and and this is where I do point the finger at leadership, mm. and and I not just point the finger but poke them in the eye on it. <laughs> it's that it does start at the top down. You know that hot, mm. that book of fish rots from the from the head down about how boardrooms disintegrate an organisation. That if the senior leader is insecure, mm. um, and has reached a point where his insecurities have somehow manifested themselves as an overconfidence that whatever he says is gold mm. or she says is gold. Don't want to be gender biased about this. <laughs> then that pompous nature ripples down to the next layer, which ripples down to mm. the next layer. I mean, I was in a conversation with a senior leader yesterday talking about him mentoring the, the individual below him. And I really had to bite my tongue because he was expounding the virtues of being tough 
and you know being prepared to be beaten up by your boss because mm. that's what he's going to do so you need to be ready because that's how I got to where I am and you're going like really do you mm. really want to proliferate that way of thinking mm. do you think as well I, I mean I, I do I, I absolutely agree with you um but I think as well, it's it's some quite pragmatic things around do companies, and I'm bound to say this, aren't I? But do companies invest enough in um, helping people move through the various stages of their career? And I would I would always answer no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no. um, and so therefore, I, I've not ever worked in an organisation that has got it 100% right. Some are obviously hugely better than others, but where people are often promoted into roles where they acquire people management. Mm-hmm overnight mm-hmm. and and some some magic sort of fairy dust is is drizzled over that weekend that they've suddenly absorbed all these people management skills yeah. um, and then at some point later on they may be sent on a management training course and historically management training courses which normally fill people with dread anyway um in that term um are only given to managers which is mm-hmm. a bit odd you know because you're already there making mistakes and i do think companies need to think about that early investment and um you know, my own company, that's where we started to look. And I, I do have huge support for that because we're recognising as well, not every manager to be promoted wants to acquire people. You know, sometimes they're technical leaders and, and specialist leaders, and that's great. Um, but I do think I do think that the traditional setup of industry needs a shake up because yeah. we just promote everybody through a people line. And some people, candidly, in my view, shouldn't be allowed near humans. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree with that. You know, I, I take great pride in in the well, fact that, me. Yeah. yeah, but I take pride in, in the fact that a number of people who've been on pro- programs with me have subsequently left leadership <laughs> because they've realised, ah, yeah. if that's what it is, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but that's another version of kind of emperor's new clothes, actually, isn't it? It's sort of self-emperoring. I'm not sure that's a, a verb, but you know, it, it's actually that ability to call ourselves out, isn't it, and say. Um, I might want the status. I might want what this brings, but I'm going to do it really badly. So let me find another way to get that status and that recognition because um, I can acknowledge where it's not working. Um, so, yeah. And sorry to interrupt, but do you not think that's that's part of you know? I'm getting older now. Obviously, you're not. You've you've frozen in time in this wonderful <laughs> place that you're in. Yes, yeah, sadly, that time is quite a big number. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we've seen. Um, from an organizational design point of view, you know, organizations were designed for the 1940s, 1950s, you know, and yet it's a manufacturing clock in, clock out sort of mentality. And the leadership that are now in senior leadership power are all from that era, or maybe, you know, sort of grades, shades of gray. If they if they weren't alive, then they are still impregnated by that thought process. And and the the the, the future, the 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 or even the present now, and I think COVID is pushing that, is that the world is changing from that perspective. You know, the clock in, clock out mentality. Again, yeah. talking to somebody quite recently, and he was talking about, can't wait to get back into the office because I pay my people for their time, and I can't see them, so I don't believe they're working. And you're going, yeah. like, really? The future yeah. is not there. So I think we are hogtied by mm. tradition, hierarchy, mm. habit. What do you think about the whole impact of COVID, the impact of this virtual world now, the destruction really of property in terms of we have a base, we Mm. fill it full of people, and that's how we work. How do you think that's going to change this 
leadership story? Oh, immensely, I think. And and it's really interesting. Back in April, when this first sort of um, became real, um, I uh, did a mini report for some of the guys um, where I work, just really pulling together a lot of the research that was already taking place. And I think, if I'm honest, uh, I was thinking this is probably worst case scenario, the things that were being predicted um, because it was it was talking about impacts of PTSD for people that you know are coming out of lockdown, which at the time we thought would only be that initial period of lockdown, of course, or we hoped. Um, actually, pretty much all of it has come to fruition, and and what I'm seeing certainly is anyone that thought they had fulfilled their learning and development in the role of a leader a year ago, I hope is now saying I now need to learn again. Because it's it is completely different, you know. We're we're having without going, you know, going too dramatic about this. The sorts of things that our leaders and managers are facing on a daily basis, with the impact on their teams, and also trying to keep the business, uh, you know, robust. There's pressures commercially. There's pressures from the market. There's pressures on a really human level um, that many of our managers are unprepared for across industry. I think because. Let's be honest, we, we rock up to work and we show a version of ourselves, don't we? You know, and, and um, you and I were talking just before we went on air that, uh, you know, sometimes you and I have spoken on on Zoom or whatever. And I certainly wouldn't have looked like I looked had I been in the office. Let's leave that one there. You know, um, <laughs> you know, so we turn up and we have a version of ourselves. And, and I think what this has done has brought a sense, brought a sense of informality that mm. perhaps didn't exist before. You know, we're, we're literally in each other's homes on a mm. very regular basis. Um, we we are seeing, you know, family life often loudly and, and uh, you know, in the moment, reactively. Um, and it's fascinating to me if you watch facial expressions, which I know you're very into, mm-hmm. um, some people are still irritated by that. Yep. Most are not, but some are. And some, to your point, are saying... I can't wait till we can get back to work. And and are we really writing off this entire year of people's effort, which has been in, you know, incredible. Amazing. You yeah. know, incredible. So yeah, I, I honestly think we've almost gone back to the drawing boards. And I think there's a brief moment in time that we have here that's really positive if we choose to take it, to say, quick, you know, we can really change things now. Um, because we're literally, we've never, you know, in our lifetime, we've never been in a situation where the whole world is saying, oh, what next? Hmm. And so we could really change things. And and the forward thinking managers and leaders are coming to me. I know they're coming to you and saying, I need to completely rethink my approach. How do I, if I'm feeling insecure about Mary Jane, you know, not doing any work, that's okay. That's human. But I want to fix it. I want to do something about it, how I feel, not about what the what, what I believe she's doing, because I have to trust. Um, so I think, you know, trust, accountability, yeah. um, demonstrable things become so much more important. And I, I know you and I have spoken. I've just um, been working on a series of, of workshops on Zoom and similar um, around this funny screen we find ourselves in. Um and how you almost have to be more like a stage actor than a TV actor, don't you? You know, those yeah. micro expressions um, won't be picked up by everybody. So you have to be slightly bigger, slightly larger, slightly more obvious. And I think for leaders, that's a really good message as well, because what they may have done subtly in the office, you know, walking past a member and just giving them a little smile meant the world. Yeah. Now they've got to do that more obviously. 
and that's hard because you have to think more you have to you have to be engaged more don't you you have to want to do more um so I, th- I think yeah you know the short answer was yes I think this moment in time will change us forever but I I worry there will still be people who say yeah that's not how we do things around here and and that goes back to that um again the the message of the leadership people at leadership people leaders um being generous and not genuine mm. you know it's oh yeah my people need this my people need to develop my people it's like yeah but what about you what about mm. holding the mirror up and going like what am i doing to help yeah. what am i doing to challenge what am i doing yeah. to 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 make this work and mm. it, it cycles all the way back to this fear yeah. And also, where am I seeking my help from? Where am I getting my support from? Where am I demanding? Yeah. How many times have you had senior leaders willing to go into a classroom, whether it be virtual or or physical? Hmm. There's something about being vulnerable that certain senior leaders are afraid of. I mean, I've got, again, with one of our clients, I've got a, a glass ceiling of five or six senior leaders who are brilliant in their generosity. Absolutely. You couldn't fault them in in terms of they believe they are people, people, and they're going to support their people and they're going to throw money at it to make it work. Mm. But will you all come into a classroom with me and start the journey from the top down? Oh, no, no, no. We've got to get stuff done. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because the Empress New Clothes, clearly I couldn't call the book that I think it's been done um, <laughs> have. but it links into something that I know you and I have spoken about before um choice leadership you know there are many 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 mm. many 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 leadership models out there and many people have made lots of money creating them um that's not what I'm talking about here it's about a concept of saying I still have a choice I have a choice of how I show up every day I have a choice of how I can flex and change and and to your point I also have a choice of whether I spend my day transactionally working on tasks or actually have taking some time out to strategically think about what I can do today that's going to change tomorrow and and um, I mean I'm, I'm really lucky I work with um, you know quite a large number of people who um, give me willingly time mm. but to your point it's still um, challenging get changing you know a whole a whole culture of people who are driven to numbers and metrics and outputs and uh, and tasks as as being the mode of success um because we can't pause time you know i'd love it if you know we could literally freeze time for a month or something or three months and and the world stopped while we caught up and maybe maybe covid gives us a little bit of that where we can say expectations practically will have to be slightly lower this year in terms of output mm. every one of us is suffering now that doesn't mean we work any less obviously but it means that maybe we can pause life a little bit to to look at how we do things as well as what we do um it's going to be interesting i think it is you're fighting a um a, a monolith of a of an industry that is hell-bent on going forward fast mm. And it and it is numbers driven, especially in the finance world where you where you sit. Mm. And you know every metric, you know if we, what the, the finance director's um, mantra is: what gets measured gets done. Mm. And and when you go to learning and development, the the, the big thing is like, oh, what's our return on investment? Mm. You know, how do we measure this? And the challenge you face is, I think a lot of what we're talking about is truly intangible. Mm. It may have 
financial benefits and corporate benefits some way down the line. But the initial investment, the mindset change to say, yes, commercially, practically, we have to stay in business. Profit is, yeah. you know, profit is the thing. That's what's going to, that allows us then to invest back in the business and grow it. Mm. But if we don't have people who are stable, who are, to your point, engaged, mm. vested in the business, mm. committed to us as an entity to be successful, we're going to go nowhere. Yeah. And and this is probably a, a you know, terribly personal view, but I do worry that um, probably you've had and you know, anyone listening to this will have had a whole swathe of emails land in their inbox with people offering, you know, data metrics on engagement, data metrics on this, you know, are you looking at that? And and I do worry sometimes that um, we we hang our measures of success on um, you know, awards on the shelf or metrics on the spreadsheet. And actually all we really need to do is ask questions, you know, and listen. Um, and I know that sounds very simplistic, but the number of managers in past years that I've worked with in, you know, some of the big corporations that say, no, but I know my people are engaged, <clears throat> excuse me, because look, you know, we're in the X percentile on this engagement survey. Yeah. And I said, but I've literally just left your team and two of them are in tears and one of them's running out of the door. You know, it's, it's so we don't see, again, it's that kind of emperor thing where we don't see what's in front of us because we're looking beyond them into a set of data or a set of analytics and you know data can be interpreted and people respond to data in many different ways for many different reasons so I uh, for me I appreciate we're becoming more digital and I appreciate that data matters I'm not a complete Luddite but I would not want leaders to lose sight of just looking around uh, and being present in the moment because now more than ever people won't necessarily know what's wrong they won't know what to say but they just know something's wrong and we should be seeing that, shouldn't we? We should. And and, and you hit the nail on the head for me. It's, it's ask. Yeah. And we've just come off the back of about three or four months with, again, another client where we're trying to work out what their team needs. There's, there's 80, 90 people in this small group. Um, and there is an opinion from senior leadership of what they want. Mm. There's no proof of it. And mm. we've sort of gone round and round in circles until the, the simple question was asked, well, have we actually asked the team what they want? Mm. Have we gone out and, and spoken to them and said, you know, how are you feeling? What support do you need? Where do you think we need to provide um, technical or, 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 or um, gadget support or whatever it is? Mm. Or where do you need skills training? Where do you need practice? How do we help mm. you feel psychologically comfortable? Mm. So it is cycling back to that forgetting I think we're both saying the same thing about this, that managers tend to be focused on output hmm. results. Whereas if they are focused on people, output should take care of itself. Yeah. And, and I think as well, you've, you've made me think about something else that um, the worst thing I think companies can do though, is to pay lip service to it. Again, I keep coming back to, you know, being an emperor in terms of if you go out and ask people's opinion, listen, you know, um, so I, I mean, you and I have both had had experience, I know, where the company has done the right thing and said, we believe we want to go down direction A, but we will go out and ask the people and the people very clearly say direction B and they go, yeah, thanks for that, but we're doing direction A, you know, and that's worse than not asking at all, you know, that, that is, you know, completely wrong. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm just, I think what I'm hearing us say, actually, and you've made me think about this, is things haven't fundamentally changed, have they? You know, people still need the same things. They still they still need the same levels of respect and, and support. But the environment is changing and our leaders do need to change with it, don't they? And and it shouldn't be out of sight, out of mind, which um, some are struggling with both ways, aren't they? <laughs> They are, and I think that community piece is the piece that's missing. I mean, you talked oh. about the 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 leader who walks who walks around and says something quietly to somebody. I think the one thing common thing I've heard around the virtual side of, of, of conversations is that the informality, you know, mm. the natural, oh, you're there. Let me just have a conversation, has mm. disappeared, and people are trying to get that. I heard a, mm. I, I was with a, a client, and 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 they came up with a really. I, I would put it as a weird. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite comfortable with what they were doing. Your word of today. It weird. is. It is yeah, my weird okay. word. Today. Yeah, weird, weird is my word of today. But I was. I was a little bit concerned. So basically, what they do is they say, right, cameras on, Zoom call on all day, and they just have mm. it sitting there, so that everybody can see everybody doing, just like you're in a meeting, just like you're in yeah. an office rather. Um, and you know, doesn't you don't have to be um, sat there looking at your camera all day, but it's on so that if I need to talk to you, oh Carol, you're there. Can I just have a quick chat with you? Yeah. And they're trying to bring back the informal in a virtual world, mm. and I can't quite get my head around that at the moment. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm keen because it for me it's sort of trying to solve a problem but not recognizing the differences. So. Uh, you know, as you and I are speaking now, I'm probably eight by six or something horrifically for you on your screen. Um, that wouldn't be how we sit in a meeting room with each other, you know, sort of two inches away from each other. So it's quite intrusive, isn't it? And we all need those moments in the day where we take a big, deep breath or call somebody a name or surely not. But, um, you know, there's there's those moments where we're not fully on to that degree are we in a, in a natural world so we're almost trying to replicate something that never existed but I think you know the way we use teams in in my organization is similar where mm. we we just pop up you know so if, if I wanted to catch up with you I'd just drop you a quick Steve you there and then within a second you are which is sort of the same as me calling across an office mm. maybe um, so I think but do you know what? If it works, I, I I think there's it's all gloves off, isn't it? At the moment, it's what works and what people feel happy with. We had um, some, there were some interesting early conversations about um, when we went into the first lockdown. Um, I always found it interesting that people talked a lot about, oh, what about the people who live on their own? You know, we need to make sure they're not lonely. You know, and that's absolutely right. But interestingly, we had probably an equal number of people saying, "Hang on a minute." I'd love to be on my own. It's my family that are going to drive me mad, you know. So, and, and for me, it's sort of a, a quite funny example of we can make huge assumptions, can't we, about how people choose to live their lives. And the same is true in work. You know, some would love that instant, I can see lots of faces, I feel part of it. Others would say, I wouldn't sit this close to you if I was in an office. I need to concentrate on what I'm doing, but I'll shout if I need you. Yeah. You know, so why, why not just listen to the people, really, again? Um so, so yeah. that sort of begs the question of your book, you know, choice leadership. Mm. What do you think the future holds? I mean, we're not we're not crystal ball readers; we can't predict. But what do you think the future holds? I think leaders of the future are going to have to choose whether they are prepared to invest time in being people leaders more so than perhaps they do today. So, I think to explain what I mean, I think today even people leaders are often given a team 
to fulfill hopefully a collective task um, if they have you know clear objectives and strategy etc um but it kind of almost happens around them and their role is to engage of course uh, and do all the things we talked about but it, it it they also give that to each other because they are collective you know often in the same office or or get together quite regularly in this environment it's almost like they're all going to look to you as the leader you will set the tone more so than I think you have done before so I think people are going to have to choose if I'm going to become a leader of the future for as far as we can see at this point I'm acknowledging that means greater effort to be present greater effort to be a visible leader because I'm not technically visible I have to be so through my actions and and the way that I direct so you know from the simplest of people being confused about what we're doing because well I spoke to him yesterday on a Skype call and you spoke to her today on a Skype call but it's not joined up from the really practical how do we make sure everybody's informed to the human elements that are missing I think I think we have to choose if that's a path we want to take more than ever before and I think the role of that, um, I worry that we've placed an awful lot of responsibility on managers and leaders to become uh, social counsellors. And, and I'll explain what I mean. It's never been more important than, than now that we're offering that mental health support for people, emotional support for people in a different way. However, have we, in all cases, provided the support to the managers to enable them to do that? Or are we just mm. expecting them to? Yeah. So. I I do think the role is going to be very very different, and I um, and maintain a commercial head. And how do we network? How do we help them network? How it's effort. I think. I think. I suppose what I'm coming down to is the role of the leader and a manager of the future is just going to take a bit more effort, hmm. um, maybe than than is much easier when you can just pop into the office next door and ask some advice. You know, you're going to need to reach out to do that, and that's maybe a for some, a wider declaration of vulnerability, to use your word, which I like. Yeah, and and I think that trust element, because mm. I think to add the commercial, yes. Yes. The, commercial the commercial side of that leadership piece is change your mindset mm. from to to real results based mm. thinking with your people rather than um, output and how they've done it. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, not forgetting at all, because I, I always hate it, as you know, uh, it's a big soapbox of mine that we're, we're sort of thought of as being in any way fluffy. Um, we've got a commercial imperative as well, you know, and that's going to be pretty tough the next couple of years. So um, we're asking a lot of our leaders, aren't we? Maybe, maybe um, we need almost to to divide and conquer. Maybe we've got those leaders that will be brilliant commercially focusing solely on getting businesses back up to where they need to be and we need to better allocate people to to people that can dedicate that time I don't know maybe it's too big an ask for some um so I think I think on a wider basis organizations should really look at their structure um and make sure the support's in place at the right levels yeah because I predict a, a restructure to a flatter organizational yeah. structure I don't think the tiered structure we have, especially in the UK and some of the Asian countries where you have, you know, leaders of leaders and leaders of leaders of leaders, you know, and you have all of this hmm. until you get to it, you know, the, the, the king sitting at the top, the emperor sitting at the top <clears throat> with only, let's say, five reports. And each one of those five reports having seven reports, each one of those seven reports having 20 reports, each one of those hmm. 20 reports having 100. I think yeah. with technology, 
we can that we can flatten that yeah and, and then, speed you know we need speed don't we and all of those agility. things add in delays yeah agility is the better word yeah um, they, they, they add in delays but they also add in um your piece about the emperor's new clothes they add that layer of mystique mm. um and, and 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 then what you get is you get in that layer of fear well i don't know everything mm. so hang, and i don't trust my people so i need to then go and interrogate mm. and yeah i mean one of the things um that i've been really proud of this year um in our own organization is um and you could argue you know we could have done this previously but but we didn't um right from the onset our ceo has every second week broadcast to the entire organization um in all of our global locations but not only uh sort of broadcast out but being prepared to sit there and have questions come in and so the link between um our most junior member of staff working in the post room somewhere you know in one of our locations or you know even somebody's been here 40 years or whatever um, the, the division between them and the person who's running the business is removed. Mm. Um, you know, they can ask him a very direct question. And, you know, he's committed. We're still doing that. And, we'll, you know, he's committed to doing that ongoing. And I think what it's done has removed some of that insecurity because if I'm a bit confused because I've heard from a leader who's got a leader who's got a manager who's got a manager, um, the message I hear and receive might be very different to the person I'm sitting next to normally who mm. I've just rung on Skype and, you know, they've told me something else. Actually here, it's really important that we remove those links, isn't it? And if there's one message, it comes out as one message. Um, and I think that's something that it's not just, you know, I'm sure it's not just our organisation, but many have done really, really well um, in terms of breaking down those potential interpretation shall we say or those uh, coded messages that come down from above um it, that i think is really critical now because we're all living in a sense of heightened insecurity aren't we we just none of us know what the future is going to bring and i think that's the, the, <laughs> the benefit of covid and that's the springboard out of this that hopefully that common fear that common enemy brings mm. people together because my mm. biggest frustration with working with organizations is the silo mentality but the, but the silo mentality comes from a senior leadership team where mm. you've got X number of people who are battling like a playground and then taking their, their toys to their team mm. and not realizing that, that that senior leadership is a team. Mm. That, so, so what you end up with is my team, this is the information, the way I'm going to present it to my team, and you end up with a silo. Mm. Absolutely. And then what you get at the bottom is, and this is where it's interesting, your comments about when the CEO talks, it takes somebody very brave at the bottom bottom rung to to pipe up and go like yeah but what about and not not seemingly in our organization but yes yeah. <laughs> and that's quite right because we've removed those barriers you know and, he's literally put himself out there and said whatever you want to ask i'll answer and that goes back to that consistency not only of doing it on a regular basis but listening to what's actually being said or asked mm. and doing something about it mm. visibly openly doing yeah. something about it yeah. Because you've heard it as many times as I have at the bottom, you know, where we where we started our life. We go, oh, yeah, well, they never listen to us. We're, we're just numbers. Mm. We're just tools that they, you know, they can dispose of us as and when. And and that that to me is the saddest thing about the corporate world when mm. you have people in the organisation who don't feel that they have any net worth whatsoever. And I do think, um, on a positive, I think this whole COVID 
pandemic situation has really improved that. I think what I've seen, I don't know if you have, is is a far greater sense of humanity. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it is because things have become slightly less formal, whether it is because we're forced to communicate in a different way and people, you know, I think, I don't think there's probably a business alive in the UK, certainly that wasn't running a quiz by week three. Um, you know, we, we introduced lots of stuff with each other that we probably wouldn't have done in all cases before. So I think there's been lots of positives, weirdly. And I think for me, coming back to choice, I think we all have a choice now, whether we choose to retain all that great stuff or whether we just say, oh, that was the pandemic, we're back to normal now. And we somehow return to the to the mistakes that we made of before. And, and all of this is just a sort of forgotten memory, which would be really tragic because there's so much tragedy around this. Um, there has to be some positive, doesn't there, that comes out of the other side. And and learning from it surely has to be some of that. Well, that goes back to a statement you made right at the beginning of this conversation where you quite nicely said, I'm not going to lay all the blame at the leadership, all the responsibility at leadership. Well, I'm sorry. It is up to the leadership. It's the leadership who's going to take us back to the way it was or the leadership who's going to take us into a new future. And if the reason I say that it, is, is um, I agree with you, but I do think as well that there is, a, and you know what I'm going to say, it's one of my favourite words, but I do think there's a sense of accountability on literally everybody. So, you know, just taking a really silly example, if, if a really um, well-intended manager said, right, you know, guys, we're going to have... This, this process, or I hate word process, but we're going to introduce, you know, this event to make sure that we're all looking after each other. And I'm going to, you know, whatever you want, I'll introduce. Um, he can do that, but it's up to each of his team to embrace that or tell him where he's got it wrong. So going back to the emperor. Um, and, and sadly, you still see, don't you, with human nature that people will let something happen and then criticise it behind closed doors. And we now have wonderful teams messaging for that, which has taken over the coffee machine, I believe. Um, you know, rather than say, hey, this is a really great idea, and I know your intent is to bring us together. What about if? Or this isn't quite working for me. Or can I talk to you about? You know, And if people won't take that accountability, then I th that's why I say I don't wholly blame leadership, because they're not, they're not um, perfect. Yeah. We're going to have a recorded dispute now because my <laughs> my version of that is get it, but you don't recruit those bad people. And I I qualify bad as in somebody who's not behaving the way we'd expect. Well, no, them to. We will you, have a dispute. You, you create them. <laughs> yeah, and, but I don't and, think people are bad because they don't take accountability unless they've been taught how to. Yeah, and therefore that goes back to the leadership yeah. piece for me. It's the leadership's leader's role. And to your point, if you have a, a leader who is open hearted and, and, and says, look, this is what we want to do. And you still have a core group of people, maybe one, maybe two in the team who are naysayers, who are rebels, mm -hmm. then you have to deal with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have, but you have to deal with that from a leadership point of view is that we've made them this way. We, in mm -hmm. some way, in their tenure with our organization, have disenfranchised them, have upset them. It might not have been mm -hmm. me. It might have been five, six, seven leaders before. And the, the sad state of affairs is you have a couple of options. You know, in my opinion, the never a lost cause. We work on them until we get them part of the team. From a pragmatic perspective, there's sometimes, well, you know what? This probably isn't going to be the place for you. And so, we have to help so, you go somewhere. Yeah, I, I, so I think we agree. I probably didn't articulate it well. I didn't necessarily mean holy naysayers. I meant 
you and I have both had experiences, haven't we, where people have said, have begged for budget to do some development. And, uh, you know, we've put ourselves on the line to get them that development. And then on the day they drop out. Yeah. So I'm I'm not necessarily meaning even the really vocal. I'm talking about the mildly apathetic, you know, the sort of the people that have never, maybe they don't feel accountable. So maybe you could attribute that to managers. Maybe, you know, we've not been clear about what is within their parameters of control. So I agree with you. There's always, mm. there's always a, a barrier, but there are, um, I, I think it's a team collective here as well. I think this is a global situation we find ourselves in that none of us have encountered before. So we, I think, I suppose where I was coming from, I'm not sure it's wholly fair at this point to to everybody to look up and expect that they have the answers because we're kind of working it out together. But we all have to want to work it out together. That's, that's and, and I like that because because yeah. I think leaders have to take the lead. You know, they're the without them, you have nothing. You know, if a yeah. leader doesn't want to do it, if the leader isn't passionate enough about it, go back to Peter Futter's uh, Leadership Transform book. You know, if a leader does not have that mm. vision, that passion, that belief, that drive to do it then you're wasting your time. Mm. It's then the team that self-manages because yes. you get critical mass and the naysayers become the isolated one and they either join in or it's not the right place from the We day also day. get the informal team leader suddenly, don't you, that uh, has, has ridden roughshod over everything. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I find even people that aren't openly, and, and I wasn't necessarily meaning the openly hostile, so I think you do deal with those in a different way. I, I was simply meaning that now is... I, I call, I've called it choice leadership, but I think it's just choice, actually. Yeah. You know, we are all in a place now, aren't we, where we say, wow, if this is what work looks like for the foreseeable future, if this is what, is what my environment is going to be, if this is what my role needs of me, can I give myself to this? You know, yeah. can, I, can I be what is needed here? And if not, how am I going to seek support? How am I going to query, challenge, whatever? Um it would be a hard task, wouldn't it, to give every manager to get inside the heads of everybody. So I suppose that's where I'm coming from. But you're right. As soon as they've articulated their needs and their thoughts, we as a leadership team have to say, right, how do we make this happen? Um, yeah. And, and strange times. It is strange times. And I think it is a hard task, but I think it is go way back to what we were saying about the change in leadership. I think it is part of the job. You know, the people are part yeah. of the job. So you need to get into their heads at some oh, point. Oh, big time, yeah. And and that whole thing about choice, um, you know, it's one of the things I bang on about every every time I, I step in front of a classroom that, you know, most of the day you're bumbling along, you wake out of bed, you roll into a habit, clean your teeth the same way, and you get into routine, your body rewards you with the, the your drugs of choice. But now more than ever, you need to wake up and choose what today is going to be. Yeah, exactly. And choose how you're going to interact with the world and choose how you're mm. how you're going to embrace what happens next. Exactly that. And and also choosing about if if I've become the emperor, in other words, if you know, I mean my my um one of my sort of personal barometers, I suppose, is if with my own team I introduce something and nobody asks me a question or challenges it. I ask myself, have I become an emperor? You know, mm-hmm. have I have I suddenly, do people either feel they can't speak to me, which is never the case, um, but um, it may be that I haven't explained it well enough. So actually mm-hmm. I've left them in a position of not being able to challenge because they don't understand it well enough. So I will always then go back out to them and say, I can't believe none of you are challenging me on this. Um, I really have to do this. You know my team, Steve. Yes, I know them. Yes, yes, I really, really have to do this. But but there is, I guess, that choice of asking yourself every day. Um, 
almost if it feels too easy right now, I think we're probably doing something wrong because yeah. every day is challenging, but it should be positive moves. You know, um, so again, I think you have a choice to view things with good intent, with you know, positive lens, yep. etc. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do. I think, I think there's a danger we all become emperors at some point. Actually, it, it's a nice place to be. Look, I'm getting close. We've got to finish in a, in a, in, a, in a minute or so because it's been as usual. <laughs> I love talking to you, and we could spend hours and hours and hours. I'm not sure anybody would really want to well, listen. Well, to also, it. if somebody asks me later, what's the weirdest thing you've done today? I now have an example, right? You do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so let me end on a on a question um, uh, bef- before we just wrap up, and it's it's this: if if taking everything that we talked about into account, the changing world that we're living in, and the and the move to potentially reorganize the way we 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 do our business, what would be the one word of advice that you would give? To a senior leader, let's go right to the top because I, I'm I'm a great believer in the waterfall effect. It starts there and works mm. its way down. So, mm. what would you say to to every senior leader that's out there that they need to be thinking about? Gosh, I mean, a really simplistic response would be assume nothing. Um, you know, there's so many people offering so much advice, which is the irony of what I'm about to do, obviously. Um, but, you know, there's so many people offering so much advice based on best practice in inverted mm-hmm. commas. Or, um, and, and I just think I would say look at each day as if you were creating this business today um, and what's working today and, and also have a real future focus. But stop looking back because actually – We've always said this, but now more than ever, anything we've done before becomes irrelevant, I think. Yeah. You know, it's about now and the next two, three, five years or beyond, actually. Um, so what sort of business do we want to be? How do we want to be remembered as coming out of hopefully this pandemic? You know, what business are we going to create from the situations we found ourselves in during this pandemic? Who do we need to listen to? So um, I think, you know, the simple would be don't assume and get dragged down by either history or data. Um, but use all of that to yep. inform future. You know, look forward, stop looking back. Oh, I like that. Brilliant. Well, Carol, thank you for your time. It's been Oh, no, thank amazing. you. So this was just a way of you not having to buy me coffee while we did it, wasn't it? Uh, well, I will buy you coffee.